The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome members of our military who are serving abroad and joining us over the Internet, and also new listeners who are joining us on affiliates in San Francisco, New York City, Boston, Miami, Chicago, and coast-to-coast throughout all 50 states. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment... Former chairman of the House Committee on Intelligence and host of CNN's riveting series, Declassified Untold Stories of American Spies, Mr. Mike Rogers will be joining us to discuss the escalating number of terrorist attacks in Europe and why spying and security go hand in hand when it comes to keeping our enemies in check. So find a comfortable chair because there are very few experts with the government, military, and FBI intelligence gathering experiences, Mike Rogers. And we're going to learn a lot about the lengths the government must go to to protect American citizens. But before Mr. Rogers joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Michael J. Rogers was born in Livingston County, Michigan, and is a graduate of Adrian College. Rogers served in the 7th Infantry Division of the United States Army, after which he joined the FBI's Chicago office as a special agent responsible for investigating organized crime and public corruption. Rogers was elected to the Michigan State Senate in 1994 and subsequently served a second term owing to his landmark work in education, tax reform, and jobs creation. In 2000, Rogers was elected to the United States House of Representatives, where he subsequently served seven terms. He distinguished himself as a bipartisan leader who could rally cooperation from both sides of the political aisle. And as chairman of the Committee on Intelligence, he dealt with the rise of the Islamic State, Putin's aggression in the Ukraine, the investigations into Benghazi and Edward Snowden, and cyber threats from China and other bad actors. Then Rogers made a decision to step down and host a nationally syndicated radio program for Westwood One. The success of the program led CNN to offer Rogers a position as a national security contributor and host of a riveting new series, Declassified, Untold Stories of American Spies. And we're going to hear more about those spies, who they were, how they contributed to maintaining the peace. We're going to learn a lot later in today's program. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report one of our nation's foremost experts on security, Mr. Michael Rogers. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Rogers. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Well, congratulations on your new series, Declassified. Uh, This seemed like an ideal program for someone with as extensive a security background as you. So uh, tell us a little bit about the series and some of the things you discovered about the role American spies have played in keeping one step ahead of our enemies. Yeah, well, thanks for this. So the series is something, I I was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. I oversaw all 16 of our intelligence agencies. Most people are surprised we have 16 intelligence agencies. Uh, From the military intelligence side, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, to all of the civilian agencies came under my purview as chairman. Uh, All the budgeting, all the legal overview, all of that uh, covert action, third-party checkoff was also part of it as well. So uh, it it was an important function. And one of the things I noticed during all of my time doing all of those things, you used to be an FBI agent, as you so graciously said in the the, uh, introduction, I learned that there's some great, things happening out there and that the only time America gets to hear or seems to me about their national intelligence services is when something went wrong. 
uh, and people were beating on each other, and Democrats were beating on Republicans about it, and Republicans were beating on Democrats about it. And I thought, boy, that is so uh, short-cheating the American public about what great things these spies are doing for the United States. So I, in coordination with uh, CNN, put together eight stories that gives Americans a peek behind the curtain. You know, it doesn't disclose anything classified, but it gives you something you've never seen before and how and who these people are that risk their lives to protect the United States. Now, I want to point out that you speak firsthand to some of the spies themselves and cover espionage activity from the Cold War all the way to modern-day Iran in this series. I have never heard of Martha Peterson until your program. So for our listeners today, tell us a little bit about her. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a thrill uh, to get to tell her story on TV. Um, Martha Peterson was, uh, think of this. So here is a spouse of a CIA officer who is, gets assigned overseas it's during the Vietnam War. She goes uh, to Vietnam with her husband. He is shot down by a Russian missile uh, in over Laos uh, in his aircraft, and he is killed. So here she is, college-educated. I think she spoke four languages at the time. Uh, her husband was just killed by, with the aid and assistance uh, of the Soviet Union at the time. She comes back. Uh, she's distraught, obviously, and decides, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. She goes down to the CIA and said, I want to work for the CIA. Well, they say, yes, well, we have some secretarial jobs here you'd be fine for. <laughs> um, yeah. and she says, no, I don't want to be a secretary. I want to be a spy. Uh, and so she, they, they said, you know what, you have all the qualifications, let's do this. So they put her in. She went through the training. She was the first woman to go to Moscow to serve as an American spy in Moscow. She had a, a, a uh, she handled, which is the spy term for somebody that uh, deals with all the aspects of a Russian at that time who in Moscow, who was very senior in the foreign ministry, who was working for the United States of America. And so he was providing information, highly dangerous. Imagine Moscow uh, in the late 70s, completely owned by the KGB at the time. Uh, they they monitored everybody, but one thing they didn't do is they didn't think that women could be spies, and so she was able to get around all of their surveillance and handle this very senior spy, collect information in real time from him that he would take one of those miniature cameras that you see in spy movies, take pictures of valuable information, uh, and then get that film to Marty Peterson who would spend hours trying to make sure she wasn't followed in Moscow, uh, she would take that information back to the United States. That information, some of that information went directly from Moscow back to the United States to the president of the United States desk because it was so valuable when it came to the whole nuclear tensions that we were experiencing uh, in the country at the time. She is a true national hero. And, you know, we didn't probably say it strong enough in that episode. She probably, the information she collected and risked her life to get probably uh, helped contribute to a non-nuclear engagement between our two countries. Really powerful stuff. Well, one point that came through in that episode was as a woman and as a former housewife, she had the perfect cover. Yes, absolutely. And if you, if you, when you see the show, I don't think you would naturally say, well, that's a spy. Why? Because we've been conditioned. It's very... Uh, you know, dapper gentlemen in, in tuxedos and uh, Aston Martins and martinis. That certainly wasn't Marty Peterson. Uh, matter of fact, her cover was kind of party Marty, as she said uh, in the episode, party Marty in Moscow. She would go out afterward and drink with all the other diplomats and have a great time. And she had a great cover story. That's where they, these, the Russians, I'm sure, just thought she was just another American girl out having a good time in the town of Moscow. Uh, and there was no Austin Martins and no martinis, as you know. She drank beer, as she says, very proud. Yes, and, and in in a way, uh, she proved a point. And the point was, maybe you don't want guys that look like spies. Maybe you want the people that the KGB aren't going to pay attention to. Oh, well, matter of fact, she was a, uh, a game changer for the CIA. They, absolutely. Opened the, yeah, absolutely opened the eyes of the CIA saying, hey, we've been looking at this a little wrong. We need to take advantage of the talent of the, the women um, that are clearly qualified to do this work, want to do this work, are willing to risk their lives to do this work. 
uh, and we think we can more than double our capacity. And that's what exactly Marty did. I will tell you a fun, great story. You'll appreciate this. Well, we're going to have to take a quick break, so hold on, and we'll we'll take that story on the other side of the break. But I think you make an important point, uh, which is that most of these spies, we don't know about the good work and the good deeds they did. Uh, they just disappeared into civilian life, and uh, it's a shame, and I that's what I enjoy about your program so much. So we'll go ahead and take that break. You're listening to The Costa Report. As a scientist who works hard to stay on top of current events and trends, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the details of a story and lose sight of the big picture. What is happening to society as a whole? Where are we headed? Why does it feel as if there's greater instability, unrest, and danger in the world? The truth is, very few of us have time to contemplate these questions. And if we're waiting for our leaders or the media to paint a clear picture, well, we may be in for a long wait. That's why I'm urging you to grab a copy of The Watchman's rattle do it now go to rebeccacosta.com find out why scientists government leaders and the heads of the largest corporations in america are waking up to a newly uncovered pattern of human behavior that's the watchman's rattle at rebeccacosta.com a bestseller in 26 countries and a book that richard branson donald trump and experts everywhere are calling a must read that's the watchman's rattle available at bookstores everywhere and online at rebeccacosta.com If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and -and drag-and-drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? Care from the Heart is a dedicated and professional home health care agency that's been serving families in the Tri-County Monterey Bay area for over 18 years. We help our clients and their families handle health challenges with determination, love, and humor. When you work with Care from the Heart, we provide assistance with the utmost respect. Your team will consist of nurses, case managers, and home care specialists who will listen and you will design a flexible program to fit your specific needs, either short-term or long-term. You might need help with medication, personal hygiene, meal preparation, transportation, companionship, household chores, or pet care. We can even help you with the dreaded insurance paperwork. If the time has come when you must step into the role of caregiver for a family member, naturally you'll have questions and concerns. Care from the Heart offers classes that provide specific information and skills you'll need to become the positive and supportive influence your family member deserves. And we protect against caregiver burnout by offering periodic respite care for you. Whatever your individual situation, now or in the future, help is available. For a complimentary consultation, call us at 831-476-8316. We can come to you or you are welcome to visit our office in Santa Cruz near Dominican Hospital. Our website is carefromtheheart.net. Join me, Ruth Copland, on Saturday evening, 8 till 9, for It's a Question of Balance, the show where we balance the intellectual with the creative, featuring thought-provoking conversations, out and about with people on the street on different topics, and in the studio with inspiring local, national, and international guests from the arts. Discussion and creativity, two of the most vital ways we engage with the world. I look forward to you joining me, Ruth Copland, 8 to 9, Saturday evening on KSCO.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Congressman, CNN security contributor, and host of the series Declassified, Untold Stories of American Spies, Mike Rogers. And before the break, we were talking about the series, and you were getting ready to tell us a little backstory before we had to go to hard break. I apologize, but we're on a hard clock here, so let's try to pick it up there. No, trust me, Rebecca, I am learning in the, in, in now the TV business, the tyranny <laughs> of the clock. I get it. <laughs> oh, I hate it. So, you know, particularly if we're interviewing a general and you, you know, one of the rules is you never interrupt a general under any yeah. circumstances. And sure enough, uh, 30 seconds before we got to go to hard break, they'll come back and say, uh, and you know, another point I want to make, Rebecca, and I, I just sink in my chair here and think, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to have well, to commit the, the, the crime. Good news for you, Rebecca. <laughs> My brother is a general officer in the United States military, uh, and uh, he's a two-star general. And I always tease him. You can tell the general the next time that they call in. You know, you can always tell a general. You just can't tell him much. There you go. There you go. I'm going to remember. I'm going to. I'm going to steal that from you. I think it's funny either. But we we, uh, we get a kick out of it. So I really wanted to tell you the story only because I think you, Rebecca, would get such a kick out of it. So after we did a premiere and we had Marty Peterson at the premiere for the first uh, declassified episode, which featured her story. And so she did a, such a phenomenal job. And the audience was full. I'm going to guess, I bet 50, over 50% of the people who showed up at the premiere were young women, younger women. And she, afterward, there was a line of these young women who wanted to meet her, who said, hey, how inspiring. I think I want to do this. I would love to be able to do what you did. I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I'll tell you, afterward, she got tears in her eyes thinking, well, maybe I did make kind of a big difference in the world of women's opportunity and in, in participating in the intelligence business. And it was really quite a moving event uh, for a woman who has really given so much. And, uh, you know, I don't want to tell all the stories. You're going to have to go and watch the whole episode. She had a pretty rough go of it there at the end of that episode for all the things that happened, pretty dangerous stuff. Absolutely. Uh, and and I think it was moving to her to see these young women coming up saying, wow, you know, I can't I get a chance to meet you. I never knew your story. You've moved me. You've inspired me. It was really, really quite, uh, quite a rewarding moment. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we have to figure out some way to get these patriots, these people that inspire us and help us to see the good work that government has done. We need to get them on a bus or, you know, in the old days, they used to put them on trains, right? And get them to make stump speeches all around for no reason other than to lift our spirits and give us confidence. You know, uh, I mean, like you said, we only hear about the bad things, the failures. And uh, we need some kind of a public relations campaign where people can actually, you know, shake hands with these people and hear their stories. Uh, uh, I don't I don't know. You know, it's it's been in the back of my mind for a long time because I both of us, you and I, both in the media have opportunity to meet an awful lot of heroic, inspiring people. And and there's just the word just doesn't get out. Now, let me let me bring up a different topic. You know, we've had government leaders on both uh, sides of the aisle on this program, and though they don't seem to agree on much these days. There's one thing that they all seem to be concerned about, and that's the fact that we don't seem to have the kind of ground intelligence that we have had in the past. And nothing brought that home more than your series to me. Um, And you were former uh, chair of the House Intelligence Committee. So let me ask you, how good are our sources and do we have enough embedded resources on the ground today? Uh, The the Two things. When we get sources, they tend to be very, very good because the process to be a source is so difficult and they're vetting and you don't want to take just anybody that wants to talk to you. They have to have um, certain capabilities, certain access, which is the most important part of that equation. What can they get you and is, is it new and is it different and is it game changing? The problem is you can't get it if you're not there. And so for ISIS is an example uh, for years, this the, the whole debate, and both sides of the aisle, candidly, were wrong about this. It started talking about, well, what, you know, boots on the ground, what is a boot on the ground? Um, and if you know anything about espionage work and spy work and the very difficult task that doesn't involve martinis and Aston Martins, it's pretty tough, and you've got to show up in some tough areas, and you have to be willing to engage in people that, trust me, you're not going to want to take home to dinner. And when you abandon those principles of intelligence gathering, especially when it's tactical and even strategic in, in areas like eastern Syria and western Iraq, 
if you aren't willing to take those risks to have those people uh, in those areas where something bad could absolutely happen, there's no doubt about it. If you don't want anything bad to happen, uh, then I guarantee you our intelligence isn't going to be as good as it needs to be. That's exactly what happened. The president, I think, decided early on that he didn't want to take those risks. He didn't want uh, to have the responsibility of something bad happen uh, on his watch. So he just completely pulled back from all of that. Matter of fact, for a long time, lots of intelligence work was done outside of the country, trying to get people inside the country. Well, that just, you know, it's, it's okay if that's all you have to work with. That's not the way you stay on top of the game, which is why they had so many aircraft that would leave with ordnance and return with ordnance. They didn't fire it um, because they, their target sets weren't great. They, weren't, they didn't have good acuity, meaning they didn't have really good intelligence on the ground about what the, what was going on on the ground. Were those really bad guys? Were the, were the bad guys integrated with civilians? You know, they lost all of that portion of the picture. Uh, and because of that, I think it cost us probably five years of really good intelligence that would have allowed us to deal with uh, what was going on on the ground in places like Syria, where, where ISIS was expanding and growing and financing and recruiting and doing propaganda operations that included targeting U.S. citizens to commit acts of violence. Missed it all. Um, well, I agree with you uh, 100%. Yeah, yeah I, I think we lost our network of human intelligence in, in the Middle East. And part of that was an over-reliance on technology and this uh, completely inaccurate belief that we could do it from here. Uh, I, I, you just can't do it from you cannot do it from the United States. No, and you can't take pictures from satellites and expect to know exactly what's going on. I can know you two, you and I met, but I surely don't know what you and I talked about. And so that that part of the equation is is just too awful important. And I, I completely agree. They thought we could do it remotely, more distance, more uh, removed, with only technology. And what we learned over and over and over again is good intelligence. Uh, changes the game. And, you know, this is the thing, Rebecca, about this whole thing. We, Americans have been told in the last few years that intelligence is bad. They do bad things. If you think about the history of intelligence in the United States, intelligence was the cornerstone of our democracy. George Washington had Nathan Hale. He had the Culper uh, spy ring network trying to keep track of what the British were doing to give us an advantage on the battlefield. It, is, it has been part of our culture in America before we were even a country. Uh, and, and afterward, George Washington had the first covert action budget ever, uh, meaning he believed it was so important he needed the opportunity to, to be able to have spies work somewhere around the world, keep tabs on our enemies. And so we have somehow got this flipped around in the public uh, domain that spies are bad, spies are evil, they only want to do bad things, they torture people in the back of buildings, um, they like doing it, and that's exactly, and they love violating the Constitution of the United States. Somehow we have got to reject that. Well, that's, that's what I mean. We've just had bad PR. It's just a, it's a bad yeah. perception. It needs to be fixed because without intelligence, there is no opportunity to usurp danger. And uh, the proof that uh, that uh, ground intelligence network is broken is we keep getting surprised. And that's all the evidence that we need. So we, we have to take another break. We'll be right back after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. We will never fully understand what we've asked of our military service members, of their families, or their children, asking them to deploy, patrol, stay on watch, on point, asking them to put themselves in harm's way, to endure it all. But we do understand that it's our turn, our duty, to bring them all the way home, to keep them secure to have their backs for the rest of their lives. Wounded Warrior Project long-term support programs do whatever it takes to help our most severely ill or injured veterans live independently at no cost for life so that they might stand at ease. Find out how you can help at findwwp.org. I'm Robin from Hospice of Santa Cruz County. Do you want to make a difference for people in our community? 
Being a hospice volunteer gives you the chance to provide compassionate support and caring relief to families with a loved one in hospice care. You may simply extend a hand to hold or run errands to give family members a moment of rest. Become a volunteer visitor at Hospice of Santa Cruz County. Applications are due August 15th. Learn more at hospicesantacruz.org or call 831-430-3000. If you have a home, you have problems. But in your neighborhood, you've got an ace in the hole. Hello, Charlie Friedman here with good news for all of you out there who have a garage door that needs painting, a gate that needs a hinge, or a leaking seal on the shower faucet. The good news is you can find a solution for almost every home and garden problem at your neighborhood Ace Hardware store. That's right. You don't need to go to that big box store because you can find neighborhood Ace Hardware stores in Freedom, Marina, Gilroy, Salinas, and at two locations in Watsonville. These Ace Hardware stores are locally owned by my friends Manuel and Carlos Rodriguez. They're almost always on hand to make certain you find the solution to your problem. So when you have a problem... Head for your neighborhood Ace Hardware store. You'll be met at the door and taken straight to the solution to your problem, and you'll be on your way soon with the solution in the bag and a smile on your face. Now at all Ace locations, pick up your Longevity Tangy Tangerine and Healthy Body Start Packs at great prices. Ace is the place. You're Ace in the Hole. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard so you don't need to ditch the car and start rollerblading to work i look ridiculous you look ridiculous you don't need to start foraging wild berries i was skeptical but these are actually pretty good you don't need to sell your organs on the black market lie back this is gonna hurt yeah that hurts You don't need to rent out your apartment to drifters. I made a fire with the wood in your bedroom. That's my dresser! And your closet door. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. It's always open house at the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, and you are always invited to walk right in and join the discussion. Hello, I am Mike Young, and I love talking real estate with all the experts and with you. So get a jump on the Real Estate Weekend every Friday, 7 p.m. on the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, right here on Listen and Be Heard Radio KSCO. The Mike Young Real Estate Hour is brought to you by Thunderbird Real Estate, Real People Selling Real Estate, by Rick Williams at American Pacific Mortgage, and by Steve Manville at Farmers Insurance. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Mike Rogers, and we've been talking about spies and espionage. So now let's talk about these growing number of terrorist attacks in Europe in places like Brussels. The authorities are admitting that they can't possibly check out every suspicious report. And yet in many cases, these attacks were planned well in advance, uh, allowing for plenty of time for these perpetrators to be stopped. The man responsible for driving the truck into the crowd of civilians on Bastille Day, uh, killing 84 and injuring more than 200, he turned out to have five accomplices uh, who had been planning the attack for almost a full year. And more and more were learning that these attacks in San Bernardino and Florida, they're, they're not necessarily spontaneous. So what do we need to do to get ahead of these perpetrators and stop them beforehand? Well, it's not a popular position, but I will tell you, uh, Rebecca, every one of them operated under uh, the umbrella of ISIS. They operated under the umbrella of a permission slip given by ISIS that operates in their provincial capital in Raqqa, Syria. They propagandize, they recruit, uh, they finance, they train themselves. If we don't get after, in the short term, if we don't get after where that capital is in Raqqa, Syria, then we're going to have a lot more of this. And so we've all convinced ourselves that we have a hangover after Iraq, and we don't like anything that's edgy or dicey or hard. The problem is they've taken full advantage of that. They've grown. They've flourished under that notion that nobody wants to come here and really deal with it. And I'm not talking about dropping a bomb every once in a while and issuing a press release. We are going to have to build a real and lasting coalition with our Sunni Arab partners in the region uh, that 
can go in with the help of the United States. And that means we will have special uh, capability soldiers at risk, medical personnel that could be at risk, uh, logistics or supply and um, uh, folks that could be at risk, and use them to leverage up our Sunni Arab partners to go into Raqqa and clean them out. doesn't mean it will eliminate it, but what it will do is reduce the ability, and if not eliminate the ability for them to continue to propagandize to people in San Bernardino, uh, to the people like that happened in Orlando, Florida, uh, and all around the other parts of the country, and radicalize them, bring them along. And as you said, these folks do have accomplices. In every case, they're finding that not really was a lone wolf. They were they acted on their own, but they had people who encouraged them, radicalized them in some cases, help them logistically get weapons or whatever they needed to do. And the longer we just let this go, the longer problems we're going to have. We also ought at the same time uh, talk about how we reform uh, uh, Islam. And they, they need to go through a reformation, like Christianity went through a reformation, like all the other major religions went through. They need to have this reformation. And the first person who kicked this off was al-Sisi, the, the uh, uh, Muslim leader from Egypt, who took over and said, hey, if we don't do something here, we're, you know, this, this is going to cause turmoil in all our countries. It's going to cause violence for a thousand years. Well, that's right. We should have supported them. We didn't. We, the country of the United States, uh, the president wasn't all that supportive. We need to start pushing for them, this massive reform, support moderate Muslims, uh, talk about how they can retake leadership positions, uh, how imams need to stop preaching violence in their mosques, uh, all at the same time. But you need to do it all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just say we don't want to do the part that's really hard, which means going in there and cleaning out these folks who are, by the way, are burning women alive because they refuse to be sex slaves. This is what we're dealing with. They throw homosexuals off of roofs to kill them, and if they don't die, then they stone them when they're on the ground. I mean, this this is the kind of brutality we're dealing with. You, there's only one way to deal with that, and you've got to go in and clean them out. And at the same time, you have to have these other options going where you start saying, okay, we're also going to have this long-term look about how we get this back on track. But as you point out, these bad actors, they don't, uh, they don't act out unless they've got permission from the mothership. So if you don't take the mothership out, uh, you know, you might eliminate a, a few bad actors, but there's more behind them. Exactly. And that has been the whole problem. And so this notion that... Uh, and I think the president was just wrong on this. He decided he didn't want to engage in any of these problems. Uh, the problems, those problems are there. They're, they have expanded. Now, you know, ISIS didn't exist eight years ago. Now it exists. Fifty states in the United States have ISIS investigations through FBI investigations. All 50 states. Tells you how much they've penetrated and expanded. They, they're operating in some two dozen countries around the world. They've had operations in some 50 countries around the world. I mean, this is an organization that is alive and well, and it's metastasizing where it needs to, going where it needs to. Um, and it all happens out of that command energy center uh, around Raqqa, Syria. And so, yes, there's activities in Libya because Raqqa, Syria gives them permission to do it. You have to take away the permission slip. In order to do that, you have to take out their command structure and their ability to operate so free. Yeah, and you, you, I, I'll tell you, you're gonna, we're going to have to put our big girl and boy pants on and uh, take care of business because uh, there's no sticking your head in the sand. And, and, and really, these mild responses that we've had have been fairly ineffective. We, uh, we, you know, we're just uh, letting more time go by, and the more time that goes by, the more uh, recruiting ISIS does. So time is not in our favor, and we need to take some, uh, I think, harder actions than we're probably prepared to uh, deal with here in the American public. Now, most of these attacks seem to be aimed at popular venues at like airports and celebrations, uh, nightclubs, concerts, shopping malls. So let me ask you, how confident are you about the upcoming Olympics? Well, I think it's harder for them to operate uh, in Brazil, but not impossible. They did catch one ring that was kind of a described as kind of bumbling. I, I, I am not as concerned about a terrorist attack on the Olympics as I am all of the other problems with the Olympics organized crime, uh, the sheer violent crime that's happening. They have the Zika virus. I'm more concerned about those security issues collapsing around the Olympics. Uh, I do think that they have the opportunity and the ability 
to get people motivated there. Uh, we know that there were some terrorist cells in the tri the tri border area they call it uh, in in uh, South America uh, that isn't that far away that could do some damage if they wanted to do it. You know they inundate these places with security forces. It doesn't mean they can't get in. It just means it's harder to get close. Doesn't mean they can't pull off an event. Again, I'm more concerned about the other security issues mm -hmm. for these Olympics than I am about terrorism. I think their terrorist capabilities, especially ISIS, is is in Europe. It, it is in the United States. And I think they're going to continue to take full, full uh, advantage of that. Yeah, well, General Michael Hayden and I were talking about this not too long ago, and he said that the advantage the U.S. currently has, but may not have for very long, is that we don't tend to have radicalized communities as we do in Europe, you know, where they have literally seized territory within a, a, a European nation. Well, one of the things that we do in America, and we should, you know, encourage this and continue to do this, is that we integrate. You know, we add, we assimilate these people and we say, listen, you want to come to America? You know, I don't care what church you go to or mosque you go to. I don't care what the color of your skin is. But you do need to participate in, what, you know, this American, unique American culture. Uh, and France doesn't do that. Great Britain doesn't do that. Their pockets of these big Muslim communities are isolated from the rest of the country. I always think that's dangerous. I don't. I, I always think this is not helpful, productive, or in these cases, it causes an easy path to radicalization. And so, yes, we don't do that now. I hope we don't get to do that. I hope we don't start segregating ourselves uh, by that. Um, I, you know, it's it's unbelievable. I, I have to say a quick story. I, there was a refugee um, that I met from Somalia. Came to Michigan when I was a congresswoman. A congressman. She was a woman. Uh, uh, Muslim, came to the United States. Short story, she said, listen, you know why this place is so phen phenomenal? I get to practice my religion the way I want to, not the way my community tells me I have to, mm -hmm. or they're going to commit an act of violence on me. She said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And she became a great productive community volunteer, doing other things, getting educated, learning English, all the important things you want in those communities. Well, there you go. The pathway to assimilation is really uh, critical in not allowing these radicalized communities to develop. We have to take our final intermission, but stay tuned for more from our guest, Mike Rogers. You're listening to the Costa Report. Caraccioli Cellars recently celebrated their fifth anniversary of their tasting room. This is what Enophiles had to say. My name is Samantha Cooper. The wines are so beautifully crafted and they're, they're, you take so much time and effort that goes into making it uh, four years to make one bottle of wine and they're just beautifully crafted and they come out so amazing. My favorite would have to be the Brut Rosé. It's very near and dear to my heart. It was my wedding wine actually. They loved it. Edmund Benich. Uh, I love the cuvee. I love the sparkle. It tickles my nose. Sarah Hines. I've been drinking Caraccioli for five years and I love it. You know, I'm across the board on this. I've been drinking their sparkling wine for some time and I love them all. I entertain a lot. I enjoy entertaining using the Caraccioli wines. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone at 831-622-7722. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, big data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. 
independent business owners of Santa Cruz County get this. A free booth at the Indie Biz Expo Thursday, September 15th at the Coconut Grove. Physicians Medical Group is offering free exhibition booths to all members of Think Local First. Not a member of Think Local? Go to IndieBizExpo.org to join up and sign up for your booth space. Hurry, this free booth from Physicians Medical Group is limited to first come, first serve. Show your locally owned business to the community free. Sign up today at IndieBizExpo.org. Yes, I did say free. Hi, I'm Andy, the produce manager at Ben Loman Market. This week, we are featuring California large cantaloupes, two for $3, red or green seedless grapes, $1.99 a pound, large seedless watermelon, $3.99 each, broccoli crowns, $0.99 cents a pound, head lettuce, $0.99 each, and 18-ounce packaged blueberries, $3.99 each. From Mexico, we have mangoes, two for a dollar, asparagus, two ninety-nine a pound, and cucumbers, two for one dollar. California sweet strawberries, one pound clamshells, two for five dollars. New crop, Gizditch Ranch, Gravenstein apples, $1.99 a pound. Inorganics, red leaf, green leaf, romaine lettuce, $1.99 each. Cilantro, parsley, Italian parsley, 99 cents each. And organic one-pound clamshell strawberries, three forty-nine each. We carry a full line of fresh conventional produce and a full line of fresh organic produce at Ben Loman Market. Hey, everybody. Dave Michaels here, and I want to invite you to join us for another edition of Flight 1080. Why? We'll give you live traffic reports every 10 minutes, weather forecasts every half hour, and brilliant wit, humor, and passion with every moment. That's Flight 1080 every Monday through Friday right here on KSEO from 4 to 7 p.m. Listen to our podcast at zbsradio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Flight 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and today we're speaking with former congressman and national security commentator for CNN and also host of the riveting new series, Declassified. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, boy, don't miss the next episode. We're speaking with Mike Rogers today. Uh, Switching gears for just a moment, this year, more than any other, the two parties seem to be struggling within themselves. Uh, Sanders supporters went so far as to boo Mrs. Clinton, and just when Republicans think Trump is made peace with the GOP establishment, uh, you know, he blows that back up. So as a man who's worked hard, very hard, to engender bipartisan cooperation, what do you make of all this? Well, it's disappointing to me. I mean, I think the country's in a not place. I always tell people uh, when I was in Congress, and I stopped being in Congress last year in January 2015, um, you know, and you look at Congress and you're disappointed. And remember, this is the Congress that America sent to Washington, D.C., we are divided, and we are badly divided. And I think the politics of division has crept in to the language of, of you know, I, I'm a Republican, so I think it's crept in more to the Democrat Party. I'm sure if you ask the Democrats, I'd say it's crept in more to the Republican Party. But that language of division, I think, is dangerous and not helpful. Um, and this notion of self-identity, we have to identify ourselves by a, group and then a segment of a group before I tell you who I am and what I do, I just think is dangerous. I, I never really noticed that when I was, uh, uh, I mean, we certainly, we had racial tensions in the history of that when I was growing up, but nothing like I've seen today. It's just crept into every common language and, and conversation you have. And at the gas station or the donut shop, I think all of that is not helpful. And I think these big political machines grasp on that and drive that wedge because now it's all about getting elected by how I can divide you. I'm a big believer that elections should be about addition, not subtraction. And now they've decided that elections are about division. If I can get enough smaller groups that think that they hate the other smaller groups, I win. What a terrible way to try to run the greatest melting pot uh, in the history of the world in the biggest, largest economy that used to take care of the middle class and used to be uh, nurturing to the middle class, boy, that seems to be going away. So I I do worry about it. I'm I'm worried about that this election is a clash of all of that division coming together in a way I just don't think is helpful for our future. Well, you're going to have to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. My wife is just now... You you left too early. 
Uh, maybe so. But, you know, uh, sometimes you got to stretch your legs. I was there for 14 years. I was chairman. I did some, and I was just so honored to be there and to serve in that capacity. And because I was an Army officer and an FBI agent, I, I brought that experience to the chairmanship uh, as the head of the, uh, the, our intelligence agencies. And, you know, I got to that point where everything was, I got the budgets fixed. I did all the things that I was supposed to do and got it back on the regular order and thought maybe this is the time to stretch my legs. I could see this dysfunction come. I saw the, the this angst, and it starts with both parties. And, you know, everybody, we like to focus on the Republicans. I used to work with uh, what was called blue dog uh, Democrats. So these are the more conservative or moderate Democrats. You could work with them. You could find common, you know, areas of common interest and get some things done. Um, they're all gone. And some notion that this is only a Republican problem is a great media invention. I had a lot of folks I could work with when I started in Congress in 2000. I could reach across the aisle and say, hey, let's work on this. We've got our differences, but let's let's move forward. There are very few now in the Democrat Party. They have almost eliminated all of them. They moved really hard left. And so you have this hard left caucus uh, in the the, uh, Democrat Party, and you have this kind of libertarian it's it's an odd thing it's almost a self-serving caucus i used to call it um and i think that that if you start doing the math on that it gets hard to do anything and it's very dysfunctional and it's mean and it's small and it's petty i saw it coming i said you know what i need to stretch my legs for a little bit maybe i can influence this in a different way i have uh a, a commentary I do. It's a really short commentary. It's on 250 radio stations across the country. And I just try to give human interests lots of national security. Just give a little different perspective. So, you know, hopefully I can slowly but surely re-engage the Americans in what's what the beauty of America is, is that if, as long as we don't screw this up, uh, we're going to have the greatest nation on the face of the earth for the foreseeable future. And as, as and everybody knew this was hard, including Ben Franklin, when he walked out of that constitutional uh, convention and said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a republic if you can keep it. Now I know what he's talking about. We are running all these challenges. We have focused completely on the wrong problems and the small and petty problems, knowing that we can do these great and amazing things. I just hope that we kind of get our heads out of our backsides, and we may have to pull pretty hard in some cases to get us back on track and moving the right direction. We're going to have to have people like yourself that are reasonable, logical, willing to work with the other side of the aisle, and capable and competent to work with the other side of the aisle, go back in there and fix those systemic problems. Because I don't see how... A, because look, folks like you that are smart stepped away. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you can't win, you step away. That's the only reasonable, rational thing to do. And and you did step away, but you know, don't make me beg. You may have to go back. <laughs> You're too kind. I'm sorry. I, I you know what? I don't see any moderates in Washington. I'm sorry. I don't see any moderates in Washington anymore. I don't see anybody who's even trying to yeah, uh, broker I'm compromise. Sure. I'm not even sure I would describe myself as a moderate. I just thought I was a thoughtful conservative. And I, I thought, listen, if you're going to win, it means you can't get, you don't get everything you want. It means that you do work with people who have a difference of opinion. Uh, and as long as you have the same goal, you can work backwards and find a point, uh, a point from there that is common. And, you know, and I'm not talking about saying, well, I'm for, you know, I'll raise taxes if I don't believe in higher taxes. Or, you know, I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about the small things where you can actually start moving in the right direction. You can get the economy back. And I agree with you, and I was, I was frustrated by it. Uh, I'm not ever saying I'm done with politics. Uh, but we, we do need to have a little bit of growing up in the United States. We've got really big, hard, tough issues. And, you know, we'd rather deal with, you know, listening to the Kardashians for the 15th time on the rerun than deal with this notion we're going to have to deal with ISIS in Raqqa or the fact that we've doubled our national debt in the last eight years and the fact that 94 million Americans have pulled themselves out of the workforce and had the highest number of Americans on some government assistance in the history of the country. These are big, hard problems, and we are not going to get through them if I, you know, get in my pout mode, cross my arms, and give a huff, and walk to the corner of the House chamber, the Senate chamber. I, I, I worry that we've got to get bigger in our politics in order to get... Well, you and I are on the same page here, but I'm, I'm going to say, I, I'm assuming that you're backing your party's uh, candidate, uh, Donald Trump, this year. 
uh, it's very tough. I, I have gone on this radio program, and I get lots of hate mail over this. I am one of the undecideds. I'm one of the 15% or so that is completely undecided and completely confused. And I will do my patriotic duty, and I will vote, uh, because I feel that's an honor and a privilege. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've never been so confused over my choices. I, I really, really don't support either candidate. And I don't believe our founding fathers had it in mind that I should uh, post my vote as an opposition to the person I like least. I don't think that's yeah, what they had in mind. <laughs> I don't think so. I think you may get there. We've never had two candidates who are the most unpopular running at the same time as we do now. And I thought my wife had the best line of all. She said, you know, my problem with this election uh, is that one of them's going to win? <laughs> there you which, which gives you some idea. But I will tell you this: I am very worried that if we have another four years of the economic policy, and we we don't talk about this in politics, I don't think you know the other team candidly wants to talk about this. I really worry of, about our ability to unwind just that litany of things I just covered, and that's yeah. that will be my my final conclusion. Can this country handle this? I don't think we can. Uh, and I know people who vote for Donald Trump or are telling me they want to vote for Donald Trump. And I ask them why. They say, listen, something is not working. Let them go back there and break some dishes in that time and try to get it functioning again. Um, you know, they may be onto something. Well, we will soon find out. Uh, we are yeah, less than 100 sure. days out, and it's going to, you know, the future will unfold. We will soon uh, all know the truth uh, because it will be an empirical truth and not a theoretical one. Now, I'm afraid that's all the time that we've got. But uh, before we say goodbye, I do want to take a moment to thank you again for your public service, beg you to go back, and uh, wish you continued success on CNN. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. I appreciate it so much. Nice to talk to you. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Mike Rogers, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My guest next week is former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay, who will be here to talk about whether congressional sit-ins, long filibusters, and other stunts aimed at getting media attention violate ethics provisions and need to stop. Don't miss Tom DeLay next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management Thank you.